0: Oliver, I'm so excited to be sitting down here with you at the Common Table here in Venice. And uh, today we're gonna be talking about soil and spirituality and uh, where they come together at the intersection of food and fashion. So I love this subject. I know you just got back from India and you have lots of amazing experiences to share with us. Uh, But to kick it off, let's just talk about the common thread here, which is soil. Um, Why is soil the common thread and why?
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me, Julie. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you for bringing more attention to these really important issues. And as we think about food and clothes and population growth and climate change and illness and pollution and all of the challenges and opportunities that we as humanity are facing and will face in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, Um, everything comes down to soil. Everything comes down to soil. Over 98% of everything that we eat and wear comes from soil. And soil hasn't historically been known as a super sexy thing. and hasn't gotten the attention that it's always deserved. But as you know, our production company, um, Comtable Creative, We have traveled all around the world filming with farmers and also spoken to climate scientists and educators and policymakers about what the future of food looks like. And most recently, we were in India working on a sustainable fashion project. And what I've come to understand through talking to farmers, through visiting dozens of farms all around the world, is that we are soil at its core. And I know that sounds silly, but if well, you that's think, the name if, of our podcast. Exactly. So, if you, if, you, if you think about it. And this is, you know, I'm not a, a, uh, I'm not a farmer myself, but I've been able to film with all of these farmers and food is our most natural, our most intimate connection with the natural world. We are literally ingesting something that comes from soil and putting it into our body and then we become that. Right? At it's very very fundamental. We are what we eat. We are what we eat. And if you think about that, an apple in one sense is just an apple, but an apple is also the sun and the soil and the human capital and the energy and the water that went into making it. Mm-hmm. So it's so much more than that. And some people have started to realize that soil is the foundation of our food system
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it absolutely is. And I've also come to realize that soil is the foundation of clothing as well. Yeah. This idea of who grows your clothes. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I think is so fascinating and people don't quite realize that you know our our skin is a is the biggest organ on our in our body. Mm-hmm. And what we put on our skin seeps into us and also becomes us. No doubt. But every bit of clothing that you've ever worn, except for leather, but that also comes from cattle which fed which grazed uh, grass from soil right. everything that you've ever worn or eaten comes from soil so soil is our common thread yeah. it is our common cause and mm-hmm. as we think about soil I think it's important to put things into context globally speaking mm-hmm. and if you look at historically yeah. civilizations for the past several thousand years from the Romans the Greeks Mesopotamians Egyptians all of these civilizations thrived because they were able to produce enough food to feed their people. And when they tapped out of that capacity, they would conquer more land, they would go and get more land, so they could grow more food to feed more people. And all of these civilizations, every single one of them, which has risen, gotten to a crest, and fallen, ultimately failed in part because they failed to take care of their soil. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of other complex geopolitical reasons that all of these civilizations ended up not doing well, but at its core was they failed to respect the care and capacity of the land. Mm. And we now in 2020 are also looking down the barrel at a very drastic situation. So if you think about 98% of everything that we do, eat, and wear comes from soil Mm
2: -hmm.
1: at its core. We also know that in 2015, the UN, the United Nations, came out and said that based on the rate at which we are degrading our topsoil, largely due to industrial agricultural practices. This is for food and growing fiber Mm -hmm. to to make clothes. We have 60 harvests left. Wow. Today, in 2020, we have 55. Wow. So to be clear, we can get one harvest a year, sometimes two. So we have between 30 and 55 years more of harvests.
0: Because the microbiome of the planet is thinning so drastically?
1: Exactly, because... Hardcore industrial yeah. agricultural practices use a lot of synthetic fertilizers mm-hmm. and a lot of pesticides. Mm-hmm. And what that does over time is degrades the organic quality of the soil, the soil organic matter. Mm-hmm. And says, we're not going to add natural things like compost. We're not going which is how historically farmers have been able to bring life back into soil using not with com-
0: monocropping. Not acre- with monocropping.
1: Yeah. Historically, traditionally mm-hmm. soil continues to get fed by uh, largely cow poop and other ruminant animals, yeah. cow poop and goats and chickens to a degree are have really really nutritious
0: poop, yeah. and so
1: their poop they're
0: supposed <laughs> uh, to be a part of the chain. They're,
1: they're a part of the system, and so historically, that poop has been collected. It has been mixed with other uh, organic matter like mm. you know tree cl- tree clippings, you know other things that have you know kind of fallen and decayed, mm. and that has been what after we've harvested. We've spray a thin layer over all of our fields and that helps restart the micro, the organic process in the soil that brings life back into the soil. It's like
0: a rebirth.
1: It's like a rebirth. Yeah,
0: it's beautiful, this cycle of life.
1: Life and, you know, there is life and death and there's death and life. And it is this ongoing cycle. And, you know, in the 60s and 70s during the Green Revolution, we, humanity, stopped that cycle. We said, hey, we found out that with a couple different components, we could grow a ton of food using synthetic fertilizers. You meaning,
0: meaning we're so much smarter than science, or science is so much smarter than nature.
1: Yes. Yeah. Humans started to believe that we are here to dominate nature. Now, this mm-hmm. started further back during the scientific revolution, but it really came to its head during the Green Revolution. And we said, hey, we don't need all these. We don't need to do organic compost. We can just take synthetic material and pump soil of it. And what that has done over the, over time has made plants incredibly weak, has made soil weak. And because once you start filling fields with synthetic fertilizers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: once you plant plants in that those fields, because the plants are growing in soil that is unhealthy and full of chemicals, that plant is unhealthy. And so that plant is less able to withstand the incoming pests and critters that are part of an organic system. And because of that, you've got to continually spray pesticides all over and herbicides all over these plants. So it's this self perpetuating cycle. Because the soil is unhealthy, mm-hmm. you put plants in, those plants are unhealthy, they require more chemicals, and because they can't grow, next year you've got to add more fertilizers. Mm-hmm. And it's this it's an addiction. A lot of the farmers that we've spoken to who have at one point grown things conventionally. I don't know what they call it conventional, Mm -hmm. but that means, you know, synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. They have said to us that growing things organically and regeneratively and mimicking nature is the only way to bring soil organic matter back to the farm. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so a big part of our work has been trying to understand how these chemicals came into our fields how they've been used at a massive scale for the past five decades at this point, Mm -hmm. and what the impacts of the green revolution have been around the world, in Asia, in India, in the United States, in Central America, to understand what the state of our soils are.
0: Right, I I don't wanna get too far off of a topic here, but I do think it's important to recognize that a lot of the crops, for instance, in regards to fashion, let's take cotton, for instance, it seems as though a lot of cotton farmers don't exist in America any longer. And I don't know if that's specifically because of this pesticide issue and what the pesticides have done to the earth or as much of or more it has more to do with money. And perhaps they've found crops that are are making more money and that's why they've eliminated the cotton. Because I mean even the Uzi top from New York that I have on right here. You know, I asked them, where does the cotton come from? And they said, unfortunately, there are no farmers left creating cotton in America. So I think we're dealing with more than just a, a toxicity problem. We're dealing with um, uh, unconscious capitalism issue that's fueling the inability for companies that are in the U.S. to even be able to get U.S. cotton. So again, I don't want to go too far off from uh, the game plan for our talk today, but I do think that you know beyond toxicity, we're dealing with unconscious capitalism. So, mm-hmm. did you want to speak to uh, the the types of fabrics and such that are being imported from other countries and why that why that has happened to the degree that it has?
1: For sure. So, you know, we were we just spent two two weeks on a regenerative cotton farm in India. Amazing, as you know, and this is. Um, this piece of land and it's kind of a microcosm for what's going on in the whole area but this piece of land for the past 50 years was farmed conventionally mm-hmm. a ton of chemicals and now they're transitioning it to regenerative. Um, a local fashion company we're working with here called Christy Dawn mm-hmm. formerly made dresses out of dead stock fabric which is fabric that was going to go to waste mm. and so they were a big part of the solution but then they ultimately realized that they could and wanted to be a bigger part of the solution and grow their things regeneratively. Mm. So what I've come to understand about cotton um, is that Cotton needs to grow near the equator. It needs to grow near the equator. Mm-hmm. So that is largely where it's grown. But if you think about what cotton is usually turned into, it usually is turned into clothes worn during this, the winter parts of the year. Right. So you autom- just, by very, just by the very nature of cotton itself, it's grown in places that are closer to the equator, Central America, India, etc. And it's worn by places that are a little bit colder. So you automatically have this global crop, automatically. Right. And, you know, we we are living in an increasingly globalized world. Yes. And I think that there, we need to find some degree of balance between localism and trade. Definitely. And say, as much as we can, we want to grow things here locally in the United States to supply fashion companies, to supply clothing, whatever it is that we're making cotton out of. We also need to understand that we do live in a in a deeply interconnected world and maybe there are opportunities for the east to support the west in growing certain things and vice versa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I did ask this company what could could we grow this cotton in the United States and they said that right now it is just so beyond cost prohibitive that it would be, you know, over a $1000 dress, mm-hmm. which is also not fully fully and, doable. And why
0: is that? Because of the cost of the land.
1: I think it's the cost of the land. I think it is because the systems are not set up to favor those kinds of conditions. It's, it's labor, labor, it's land, it's the fact that there likely isn't as much of a demand for it yet, mm-hmm. especially related to fashion. Because fashion as well, the fashion industry has been defined, just like the food industry for the past several, uh, couple decades by fast fashion, especially in the past two decades, Mm -hmm. by how do I get what's in season? And there used to be four seasons in fashion, (laughs) and now there's 52 seasons, and the average garment is worn, I think, between seven and nine times, Wow, which is ridiculous.
0: What a waste. What
1: a waste. Mm -hmm. So we are starting to see, if we look at the food world, we are starting to see more organic and regenerative farms in the United States because there's more demand. Right. There's more awareness and more understanding. Mm-hmm. So the more that we create a pool of understanding and demand for local farmers, for regenerative farms, the more likely it is that farmers will be able to produce the goods at that cost. Right. The fashion industry is still very much in the, the, the early stages of this transition. Yeah, I, I, I believe fully that the food industry is in the midst of this revolution. That Definitely. is that is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you are a part of it. Yes. I'm a part of it. All of these amazing food entrepreneurs and innovators and farmers We're concerned and policy makers about
0: our future. Yes, yeah. and
1: the public is waking up. You know, there's so many. There's so many great films and media out there. That's why we, as a company, try to bring these stories to the world. So there's more awareness in that world. Mm-hmm. The fashion component of this is still very new. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there is enough demand yet to make growing cotton, you know, in this country um, regeneratively that feasible yet. When I was in college, I actually started a fashion company, um, uh, and we made uh, socks and pocket squares. And I wanted to do made in America um, socks, so we actually sourced Supima cotton from Arizona. Wow. Looking back, I, you know, I definitely don't think it was organic. It certainly was not regenerative. Mm-hmm. I, at that point in my earlier years, I didn't even think to ask the question. Sure. This is before I had my revelation about sure. soil and food. Um, so cotton is grown in the United States, but it is still grown the the way that industrial corn and soy is grown. Yeah. So it is basically grown in a very cheap way. And the parallels that exist there are as following. When you start with fertilizers, and pesticides, you are maximizing next year's profit. Maximizing next year's profit to bring in more chemicals, more spray, maximize yield, maximize yield. Now, is the corn and soy healthy? No. No. Is it devoid of... Minerals. Excuse me. Is it devoid of micro, macro nutrients? Yeah. Yes. But does it look full and big and... Like something you could sell? Yes. I think the same thing has happened with cotton, and the same thing has happened with other fibers. They're being mass-produced in a way that is toxic to the environment, that is not paying the workers a fair wage, and, you know, As we know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Right. So when you start the chain in a way that is synthetic and pesticide driven and you're not treating the people right, that that works its way up the system.
0: Well, hasn't that been happening for, for generations? I mean, look back to the slave era, you know, and how those people and how far we've come in regards to just, you know, the way people are treated, but... It sounds like we haven't made a lot of headway in a lot of other factors.
1: Totally. And this country's economy was built on the backs of slavery, yeah. which was built on cotton.
2: Mm-hmm. And that is
1: a, 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 a truth that we as Americans need to look at and have serious conversations about and be honest with ourselves about. Right. And um,
0: And maybe ask the question, Is is, this, is what I'm wearing toxic even to my health?
1: Yes, and yeah. I, would, I would argue that it is. If you are buying, again, your, your skin is your biggest organ in your body. Mm-hmm. So just like food, if we, are, so if we are eating food that is grown in chemicals and highly processed, and we put that in our bodies, we are getting some amount of calories, but we are also poisoning ourselves, right. frankly, over the long term.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, one of uh, a farmer that we, we filmed with in the Bahamas who I really, really like, has said, you know, if you have a little drip of, of cyanide you know, every day for a couple of years, it, it might not kill you right away, but in 20 years, 30 years, you're gonna have all of these problems. Same thing is true with all of the processed food, all of the junk food, all the fast food, all the soda, the sugar. It may not, you know, kill you in the, in the first couple of years, but 20, 30 years down the line, you're gonna start having all of these cardiovascular issues, diabetes, obesity, so it's a slow, painful thing.
2: Right.
1: Similarly with fashion, you know, I think there there are, there are there still need to be so many studies done, and we're still in the beginning of this fashion revolution that I really truly believe is happening, or is about to happen. Well, we're
0: seeing so many companies like make things out of water bottle caps, uh, you know. Totally. So we're we're seeing seeing it happen. Totally. You know. So
1: yeah, it's exciting to see that happen, and why I, I love so much working with Christy Dawn is they're not just thinking about how do we take what's already been wasted and find a new life for it, which I love. I think upcycling things is brilliant and that needs to happen and that's great. But how do we grow clothes in a way that participates in the stewardship of our planet? How do we get people to realize that through their, not only their food choices, but through the fashion companies they choose to support that we can all play a radically important role at a time when it is more needed than ever in shaping the trajectory of our world?
0: And we don't need to have you know, walk-in closet upon walk-in closet of clothes these days. I mean, I have always thought that the French woman uh, way of living is the way to go. You know, you have seven dresses, 10 dresses max, you know, and three pairs of shoes and you just cycle through those things because you're supporting it. It might cost a little bit more to have something that, you know, really stands up and lasts that long. But how good it feels to align yourself with a company, with, you know, you know where stuff comes from, we, Mm -hmm. you know, if we could all step away from this fast fashion, fast food idea and say, if I could just have one outfit or three outfits that are made Mm -hmm. from companies that I know are supporting our planet, if we all did that, you know, how, what a big difference it would make.
1: Totally. And how many outfits do we really wear anyways? Even, you know. Yeah, I'm a guy always, but, I, <laughs> but like, even if I have, you know, like, ten button downs, I'm only going to wear, like, two of them, really. Right. Three of them, maybe. I
0: think they like say... consistently consistently. If you haven't worn something in a year, that means that... You really shouldn't keep it. Donate it. You should donate it. Totally. Yeah. And and
1: we've got to ask ourselves, who grows our clothes? Right. And that question is going to be, I believe that question will become a bigger part of the the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. in America and around the world.
0: I believe it too. Collective consciousness is certainly elevating. Totally. Speaking of that, whenever you have interviewed these farmers around the world, um, have you spoken to them about how nature is directly related to their own spiritual practice their own spiritual beliefs and um you know i mean i'm kind of interested to hear about how farmers view that or is that is that something that you've especially in india where there is such a you know big influence on uh, religious beliefs Mm -hmm. and spiritual beliefs so
1: absolutely you know i think we've we've been on farms now in the bahamas throughout the united states east coast west coast midwest you know Europe and Germany and now of course in India and I found farmers to be the true stewards of our planet you know they are the ones who are most deeply in relationship with earth right they they co-create with mother nature it's really profound when you think about Mm -hmm. it and farmers and I and also teachers I think are some of the most undervalued underappreciated and most important people in society absolutely and what I've come to realize through speaking to these farmers is that we are nature and how we treat our soil and how we treat our earth, I believe is a reflection of our connectedness. And I think if you look back at the past 50 years, how we've been treating our soil, how we've been treating our earth, the, the, the negative consequences of that are profound from environmental destruction to climate change, to to the huge numbers of obesity, diabetes in the United States, and also, you know, lack of happiness, lack of Mm -hmm. connection. And I think that stems from a lack of connection and a lack of intimacy with our planet. And, you know, the farmers in India are really... India is a deeply spiritual place. I know that that I've that may that may sound cliche, and I get it, but there's a reason why cliches are you know, partially <laughs> true. Um, so, I was deeply moved by our experience in India, and you know, we were able to spend a couple of days with these amazing farmers, and you know, these were these were men and women of incredibly simple means you know third grade education we were like the third fourth and fifth white people they'd ever seen amazing so i thought we were going to be culture shocked. i can't imagine how they felt you know us coming out with cameras and da 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 were
0: they were they doing having their spiritual practice be a part of anything that you saw with the farming
1: for sure wow you know so we there was also a the community temple was on their farm so it was not only their farm but it was also this like community um, gathering place that 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 kept happening. And you would listen to these women talk and they would say that, again, you know, still you'd go to the bathroom in the woods, live very simply, cook over an open flame. And they would say, you know, there's a saying in a road, which is where we were, treat your daughter as you would treat your soil. Mm. And the idea that soil is life. Yeah. And they would tell us stories about how they, when they were growing up, they would do these organic practices and they love farming. For the past 40 years you know somebody else owns the land they're just working it they were using pesticides and fertilizers and they would come back at home they would come back home at night and have splotches all over their arms and it was they were getting paid a minimal amount to do it and it was how they survived but now they've gone back to these organic and regenerative and ancient practices bringing in compost you know bringing in cover crops and you can feel it in their bones, and they're so excited. They're and they, empowered. They're empowered, and they yeah. will walk you out to the field and dig up a handful of soil and say, this is full of life. They will say, previously, the soil, you know, the difference between soil and dirt is the degree to which it is alive. Right. And they said, this dirt was dead for the past couple of decades. But because these practices are starting, this soil is becoming alive. Mm. And... As we, me and Chamber uh, and Simon, um, you know, on our last day there, this is going to give me goosebumps, <laughs> um, on our last day in India, or I'm sorry, our last day on the farm, we went and said goodbye to the farmers. This was the last, you know, all the other days it was, there's a ton of people there and a bunch of cameras, but this was the last day we just went to go say thank you. We weren't even filming. We just, and we drove by, we got out and we walked in there all in the field kind of harvesting and doing their thing and we couldn't really communicate to this point we had had a translator but we got there and we kind of just threw hand gestures and hugs just kind of said thank you thank you so much we're leaving and as we were departing we walked out of the field got walked towards our car and we turned around and five of these women if you can visualize this I know it's podcast but (laughs) five of these women were equally spaced out in the middle of this regenerative cotton field hands up in the air in a full prayer in their white outfits and i i wasn't raised like terribly religious but this was the closest experience i've ever had to feeling the presence of god the universe whatever you want to call it we can all call it different things pure grace yeah and the three of us turned around and i i I can't make this up we all started bawling uncontrollably because we felt their blessings Mm. they knew somehow that we were there and had good intentions and wanted to tell the story about soil and they sent us their blessings that's
2: so beautiful
1: in a way that i couldn't even take a photo of it and i take a photo of everything and to this day it brings tears to my eyes knowing that we shared this bond we didn't speak the same language we didn't come from the same part of the world but we shared this common understanding of the power of soil and the power of plants to heal us. The and, they knew, for
0: our planet. and
1: they knew that we were there to tell their story and that we had good intentions and they could, and we could feel that and they could feel that. Mm. And it was powerful.
2: Mm.
1: It was powerful. And, what we saw in India, is what we saw in Germany, is what we saw in the Bahamas, we've seen throughout the United States, is that there is a revolution going on right yes. now amongst farmers, amongst consumers, to say, we don't want chemicals in our food. Right. We don't want to eat food that's been grown in chemicals. We don't want to bring that into our system. We don't want to bring that into our body. We don't want the glyphosate. We know that all this BS causes cancer and causes all of these downstream impacts. Mm-hmm. And all of these farmers, some of which had grown things with chemicals for many years, are starting to realize, they're like... We don't want to do this.
0: Are they being supported? Is my question.
1: Increasingly, yes. By whom? Right now, it's the consumers. Okay. Um,
0: but we need the government. We
1: need the government. Yeah. Um. And I don't know how long I have to talk about this, but I'll be I'll be brief. <laughs> I'll be brief. It's great.
0: actually really perfect timing with Super Tuesday yesterday. No, this is and, great. You know, we need to be involved. We need to stay, we need to claim our rights, or they're going to they have been taken from us. Yes and they need to be get, we need to take them back. Yes.
1: And one of the most powerful things that we can do as individuals is vote with our dollar every day. Yes. Yesterday was Super Tuesday. We did our thing voting. That yep. was great. We can vote with our dollars every day to support organic and regenerative agriculture to support the future of food. Yeah. That is one of the most powerful things that we can do. Yes. Because the same system that was put into place several decades ago, the synthetic fertilizers and pesticides was directly supported and is continually subsidized to this day by the United States government. Right. The U.S. government directly pays farmers um, to grow huge amounts of corn and soy and wheat to a degree, but largely corn and With soy.
0: pesticides.
1: And the way that you maximize your yield mm-hmm. is to use synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. Mm-hmm. So our government is indirectly or directly, depending on how you look at it, subsidizing this devastating erosion of our soils mm-hmm. and incentivizing the growth of unhealthy food that because we have such an abundance of corn and soy, like huge amounts, it, it has become over the years the foundation for processed food, for fast food, mm-hmm. and for animal feed. Yeah. And so cattle, which we now know are an important part of regeneration, and we now know that animals at a certain scale are actually incredibly beneficial to agriculture
0: mm-hmm.
1: because they... They, they do their
0: thing. They do their thing. Yeah. They
1: walk around. They eat the grass, which helps sequester carbon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They also fertilize the fields with all of their poop.
2: Yeah.
1: So animals are an important part of agriculture, and they will be moving forward. But all of this corn and soy, we transitioned from animals grazing on grass, which is what they're meant to eat, to force feeding them corn and soy, which had the impact of making meat and dairy really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Artificially so.
0: And really unhealthy and unhealthy
1: yeah. not that again there's the the health component of eating meat there's the environmental component and then there's a the personal component right. I don't believe in telling people what to eat or how to yeah, eat me, I good. think we need to talk about honestly and truly the health implications of eating certain types of meat especially if it's highly processed and filled with um, what's it called
0: different uh, kinds of chemicals exactly yeah um,
1: uh, and growth hormones and all that right, kind of thing. Right, growth
0: hormones. Antibiotics. Antibiotics. Such, thanks. Yeah, there's a yeah. the word. There's a
1: mm-hmm. the word. And, and then the environmental impact.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The environmental impact of eating meat that comes from an industrial source, a big concentrated feeding operation, is horrible. Yeah. The animals are treated horribly. They're full of antibiotics. And that is one of the most devastating aspects to our food.
2: Yeah.
1: And so... Let's talk about the health. Let's talk about the environmental aspect, and then the moral aspect of do you feel okay with eating animals? That's a very personal decision. I leave that Not up. Not
0: if they're tortured. Not if they're tortured. <laughs> and I think that's a big part of the problem. Is, totally. Is, you know, I mean, I grew up on forty-four acres of land with my Italian grandparents. That, you know, we killed everything that we ate, and I didn't really eat a lot of uh, beef or chicken until mm-hmm. I went to college because we ate everything off of the yeah. land and those days unfortunately are getting less and less for yeah. so many people with this globalization issue and um you know people wanting to have fast food and like we talked about fast fashion um And it's so wonderful to be having this discussion and bringing some awareness to folks that might not even be aware that what they, you know, shopping at Forever 21 and getting a new outfit every two weeks really might not be good for your health. And it's certainly not good for the health of the planet. It's horrible. Yeah. And by the way. It's very important.
1: And by the way, you look like everybody else.
0: Exactly. Which is
1: not so chic, which is the point (laughs) of what you're trying to do. So there's, I mean, that's kind of a joke, but also not really. I mean, you're gonna be much better off if you go to a great second-hand store and find something that's totally unique right. to you and give it a second life versus looking like every single other person who gets that bl- the $6 blouse.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people t- tend to have a doomsday sort of um, negative viewpoint on this. Like, how are we ever going to get back to you know where it needs to be? And they're thinking about the fact that seeds, for instance, you know if if a, if a seed blows and chemicals blow from an organic a, a non-organic farm into an organic farm it's affecting the genetic makeup of those organic seeds so in essence like we're 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 transforming all of our seeds around the world into seeds that don't even exist any long, like the old seeds don't even exist any longer because of what's been happening because of the nature of nature Mm -hmm. where things blow and, you know, things change. I mean, like I, I I was thinking about like just the, the, um, the GMO effects on the seed to the root from the flower to the fruit. I mean, it's one thing to talk about the health of Mm -hmm. ourselves and what we ingest, which is, you know, the root or the fruit but what about the health of those seeds? And our, that's our future. The seeds are our future. The
1: seeds are our future. And, you know, like anything, if you coat something in synthetic material, that is what it becomes. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, something, something like 60 to 70% of all of the seeds are owned by one big company. Um, Probably Monsanto. Formerly Monsanto. <laughs> now, now Bayer, since Bayer bought Monsanto. Right. Um, That has devastating consequences. Really? Devastating.
0: Do we have hope?
1: We do have hope. There are are the seed vaults in different parts of the world. There are folks who are bringing organic and heirloom seeds into the world. Um, There is hope. And hope is with the farmers who know that things can be done better and who are saving seeds, who are only buying organic seeds, who are not going to get on the synthetic bandwagon because once you get on this synthetic bandwagon once you get the gmo seed that in and of itself has not there's not been a ton of studies to say that like that in and of itself is bad however it is bad because with that synthetic seed you need the whole synthetic apparatus that comes with that because the seed is coated in chemicals you need the synthetic fertilizers and because the seed is now chemically infused and the fertilizers are chemically infused you have a weak plant that is specifically designed to take more pesticides and weed killers which is ridiculous so again how we do one thing is how we do everything mm-hmm. so when we start with a gmo seed or a synthetic seed it it's it, it starts this whole process of synthetic growth and that doesn't that's not good for any of us yeah we have to stop we
0: have to stop it
1: we have to stop it and um, yeah, but- how, and how we do that is Taking our energy and money and resources away from the system that is destroying our planet and producing unhealthy food for people. And putting our money and our energy towards supporting the future of farming, which is local and organic and regenerative.
0: Let's give people three ideas that they can walk away with today in regards to making different choices when it comes to food and three Ideas that we could give them into changing maybe some habits around fashion. Mm-hmm. So let's let's give them three for food. Sure. First it would be? Composting. Composting.
1: Composting, composting, composting. So earlier we talked about the fact that we have 55 harvests left, right? The thing that is most helpful for soil, even if you have a land that's been kind of decrepit, you... It has been proven over and over and over again, and we've been on farms where it's been proven, that a thin layer of compost actually restarts the gut micro, um,
2: <laughs>
1: it restarts the organic process and basically jumpstarts the life in the soil. Yeah. So one thing that we can do is think about our food scraps. right? When we throw away an apple core, or we throw away pizza crust, whatever it is, we're not just throwing that away, we're throwing away Gallons and gallons and gallons of water, sun, soil, energy, sun energy, and human labor and love that went into making it. Mm -hmm. If we take all of these scraps and we put it in a landfill, Mm -hmm. that releases nothing because the organics are trapped underneath and they actually contribute to global warming. And right now, 40 to 50% of the food that's grown in the United States gets wasted. Imagine... If every single house in the United States, and San Francisco is actually kind of leading the charge on this, every single house, every single restaurant, every single apartment had a small compost bin. I'll show you mine in the they fridge. They do in
0: Portland. We have, a
1: com- of course Portland. <laughs> we have a compost right outside here. Yeah. What happens is all of these nutrients and minerals and all of the, the elements that went into making whatever the food was, it gets added with yard trimmings, other organic matter, and over the course of three, four, five, six months, depending on how you do it, becomes soil again.
0: So where do so like let's say that we were collecting the our compost yes. and our city here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles decided that they, they were going to have, you know the the different bins mm-hmm. like Portland has and like San Francisco has. What happens then to that compost? Does it go into a city collective compost?
1: Right now, there's virtually zero infrastructure for it. Wow. So that's been one of the biggest issues: is mm-hmm. how do you incentivize and get people to do something unless right. it is simple to do? We need composting to become what recycling was 20 years ago. Got it. Right? Mm-hmm. So two points on this. First, what you can do now, you got to go a little bit out of your way. You can bring compost to your local farmer's market. Okay. A company called LA Compost, mm. at least in the LA area, um, has a number of different sites throughout Los Angeles where you can go drop it off.
0: Awesome.
1: You can, If you're really feeling frisky, you can have your own tumbler yeah. uh, outside of your house. I
0: used to have one
1: of those. You used to have one? We've got one. Filled it up real quick, and because <laughs> I cook a lot, and then we had to make another one, and then you can apply that directly to your field. And also, there is going to be a ballot measure. Mm. Um, I do a bunch of policy work and advocacy Great. in the state of California. There's going to be a ballot measure uh, for the uh, the next general election for the state of California. Um, it's going to be around taxing plastics, mm. and a couple of policy folks that we work with. This is going to be very, very, very important, and I want to talk more about this, but. There's going to be a, ball- a ballot measure that says it's, it's a plastic. It's a tax on plastics. It's going to let's
0: have another podcast whenever we get closer to that. To get we people will. Fired up we about will. It.
1: So this is what it is. It is, and this is like so. Like of course, one cent tax on plastics to the manufacturer mm. on all plastics. Great. And that goes into a fund. That fund goes to support billions of dollars in composting infrastructure throughout the state of California.
2: Mm.
1: So. Love it. It's, it's like, Brilliant. of course, like that's so, you it's not even the consumer that's paying, mm-hmm. it's the plastic manufacturers. Yeah, we're
0: deterring people.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people in the state who are working really, really diligently to help enforce, not enforce, to help develop and create infrastructure around composting. Mm-hmm. Because what we're going to need is huge amounts of compost to wean all of the fields in California and the United States and eventually the world, but California will will have to lead the united states and the united states will have to lead the rest of the world
2: i love
1: it we've got to rid all of the farms of their addiction to chemicals Mm -hmm. and the only way that we can do that is to replace the toxic fertilizers with organic compost
0: so we need a backlog of compost
1: correct and so right now it's going to be a multi-billion dollar 15-year project Mm -hmm. to build 16 or 17 statewide industrial composting mm-hmm. facilities in addition to more local and regional ones
0: so listen guys like you might not have you know a plot of land you might be living in a studio apartment and you're going well how am i going to start composting today well i know that dot Giam, com has these really cool kitchen counter rocks mm-hmm. with a filter at the top yep. i used to have one in my kitchen before it's how i would transport my compost from the kitchen to the tumbler you know you could have one of those look into lacompost.com mm-hmm. or look at you know talk to your local farmers go to the farmer's market start having conversations about compost what's the second thing that we could
1: uh and vote for this new ballot measure as well that okay. we're gonna we're gonna follow up on
0: yes definitely if you vote
1: vote at the farmer's market vote on the ballot So um,
0: three food things and then three fashion things
1: Eat more plants.
0: Got
1: it. Eat more plants. And I'm not not saying you have to be a vegan. Every
0: kind of plant or organic.
1: Organic plants. Thank you. Organic and regenerative plants.
0: Yeah. Supporting those farmers. Yes.
1: So... And I'm not... Again, I'm not saying you need to be a hardcore vegan... You don't need to do you know, you don't need to do any of these things.
0: Well, if you want to be healthy, you should be eating eighty percent plants anyway. That's right.
1: Yeah. So that's what I advocate for. That's why I talk about being plant based. Yeah. And if that means and basically what we're doing here is saying, okay, we are gonna take, instead of using our dollars to support the industrialized agricultural system, particularly meat, because that's what's cheap and readily available, we're gonna take those dollars and we're gonna support organic farmers, we're gonna support regenerative farmers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we do eat meat which is okay as well, we're gonna know, we're gonna ask questions about where it comes from. And if a cow or a pig or a chicken comes from a regenerative farm or comes from an organic farm where they are part of the ecosystem and they are not filled with chemicals, they are not filled with antibiotics, they are a healthy part of the ecosystem, they are actually benefiting, helping to benefit the farm in the long run.
0: So when you buy organic meat at the grocery store, Is it a guarantee that if it says it's organic meat that it's actually coming from a regenerative farm and those animals haven't been mistreated? It's not a full
1: guarantee yet. Mm -hmm. So the regenerative thing is, it is a new, it's an old way of doing things, but the the label regenerative does not exist yet in the way that organic does.
0: So it sounds like another thing that we need to... Organic
1: regenerative is a label that's coming up now. So it's kind of one step further. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you are going to eat meat, try to find regenerative meat. If not, organic is great. And if you are at a grocery store or you're at a restaurant, ask a couple of questions. Hey, where did this come from? Right. Was it part of the farm?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, where is the farm? Right. Is it somewhere local? Was it shipped from far away? Um, can you tell me more about the farm? And again, as consumers, the more questions we ask, the more power we have to make change.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know to, to shop the perimeter – But this goes beyond shopping the perimeter Mm -hmm. now. I mean, shopping the perimeter is so like late nineties, you know? Like we're at a different state of consciousness now Mm -hmm. where our, you know, we need to be thinking much more uh locally. Totally. And um beyond even local, but having conversations with the people that are growing our food. So what can we do for fashion? Like what are three choices that we could start making today? to you know support um the the aspect of of the our soil or as fashion is related
1: for sure so fashion still in kind of the beginning stages of this Mm -hmm. but some things that i've tried to kind of work into my ethos is buy second hand and not only is it the right thing to do, since so from a sustainability perspective, but it's also the right thing to do from a style perspective. Sure, you can do so much better and and find things that are so much more individual and cool and have so much more character than something bought for eleven dollars on a shelf that a thousand other people have. Mm-hmm. So if if and when you can support local, or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, um, buy secondhand, secondhand when you can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: second. Support the brands that are talking about sustainability. Right. And I think that's probably, those are probably the two big ones I have right now.
0: I shop at a store called Dream Cloud in Portland whenever I go because there's no sales tax. Amazing. You know? And Dream Cloud, everything in the store is made by women mm-hmm. and all sustainable brands. Amazing. And it feels good to walk into that store yep. and to buy a piece and to walk out and know that my dollars went to support other people that have the same mission in mind in the exactly. United States. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my favorite shirts, uh, favorite uh, stores down here is called Vital Hemp. Oh, and yeah. they make all clothes out of hemp and I really like that.
0: That's another whole podcast whole, Well, yeah, we'll uh, talk about episode. hemp episode. We time. could talk, po- I mean, the talk about sustainable hemp right? is amazing. You know, my
1: Allbirds sneakers are all kind of made of, of natural materials mm-hmm. and it's still in the beginning stages, mm-hmm. but the more consumers ask questions, the more impact we can have. Yeah. So, I spent many years in the restaurant business and grew up in the restaurant business, did, did all the different positions and jobs and we had a rule in the business that if one person spoke up and said something, maybe they didn't like a dish, maybe they didn't like the lights, whatever it was, that usually meant that about 10 people were thinking it. Right. Because not everyone feels comfortable speaking up. If two people said something, it meant that maybe 10, 15, 20 people were thinking it. And if three people said something, we would make a change. Yeah. Because we knew that The consumers were the only reason that we were able to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And if enough people started to ask questions, hey, are you guys composting? Hey, where's this steak from? Right.
0: Where's your cotton come from? Where's your your cotton come from?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Why are you guys still using plastic straws? Businesses listen. Yeah. And that's something that I think we need to remember. We as individual consumers have profound power to make change in this world.
2: Yes.
1: Simply by asking questions. Yes. And we can't always, with all of our dollars, do the best that we can, but where we can align with our values does make a difference. Mm-hmm. And if we go to the grocery store, and you say, hey, do you guys have regenerative meat? Maybe the, maybe the manager says, oh, we don't right now, but let me think about that, they make a note. Mm-hmm. Three other people come in in that same week and say, hey, do you have regenerative meat? They say, oh, that's, that's interesting, maybe I'll talk to the boss, and five people said this, maybe 10 people said this. Now, the person ordering is going to be looking at their order and say, hmm, this particular type of, you know, plants or meat or whatever from this system is, you know, the cheap stuff. Maybe it's not doing so well. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should look at a farm that's supporting this idea. Well, let's just look into this. That's one grocery store. Imagine two grocery stores. Imagine three yes. restaurants, five restaurants, mm-hmm. ten farmer's markets. Yep. That, is the, 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 that is a powerful wave of change that we have the, the ability to enact.
0: Erewhon is
1: certainly doing it. Sure, exactly. So ask questions. Yeah. Be curious. Yeah. Know that your voice matters, not just in how you vote with your dollar, but how you ask questions yeah. and what you care about.
2: Absolutely.
1: The more people that ask questions, the more people will be supporting this new system of agriculture. And the more people that do that and, and system of fashion, the, the less the price will be for these healthy things. Yeah. Ultimately, this revolution starts with the people. And when enough people speak up and businesses start to pay attention, local politicians start to pay attention. And when local politicians start to pay attention and say, hey, our entire constituency cares about this. We don't want plastic bags anymore. We want to support local food. We want to support farmers markets. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: They're going to start to think differently.
2: Right.
1: At the state level, when enough people say that these things matter, politicians have to respond. And so it's a trickle-up effect. In this particular government, not a lot's happening as it relates to climate. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave that, leave that there for the moment. When the people speak up, eventually the government listens. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the, I think the big issue is that people, first off, need to be aware. Yes. So that's what we're doing today is bringing some awareness to these subjects. And after they have the awareness, you can't not know something once you know it. And the key is to start having conversations and for people to start asking questions. And that's the only way that change can really happen is it starts with awareness. So thank you so much, Oliver, for talking to us today about soil and where food and fashion intersect with sustainability. This has been an amazing conversation, and I can't wait to talk to you more about our next subject. It sounds like we have a lot left to talk about. My pleasure. Thank you
1: so much for having me. And remember the power is with each and every one of us. Yes. So believe in that and live with that. We are the soil. We are the soil. Thank you, Julie. (laughs)